So there's a song. It was originally written in the 1960s. It became popular first by an artist named Peggy Lee in 1969. It then went on to be covered by several artists, Tony Bennett, Bette Midler, Shaka Khan. The name of the song is, Is That All There Is? Is That All There Is? And many of you probably haven't heard of that song before. Maybe you have. It's not a TikTok trending song right now. (laughs) But I wanted to share the lyrics with you this morning to start because I believe the song is hauntingly relevant even many decades later. So the song is written from a point of view of a person who is disillusioned with life. In particularly, uh, disillusioned with several key events in her life. So the verses are her telling the story of each of these things that she thought would be more meaningful than they were. So the story tells of her standing outside as a little girl watching her family house burn. It's a great way to start. The next verse talks about her going to the circus with her dad as a girl. The greatest show on earth and she left disappointed with the greatest show on earth. The next verse goes on to talk about her falling in love for the first time, thinking this was an amazing thing until he left and broke her heart. So each of the verses then concludes with this chorus. The chorus is, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. It's kind of a modern-day equivalent of let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. It's not exactly filled with that much hope. And then back to the song, the final verse. I think I put this up on the screen, too. The final verse says, I know what you must be saying to yourselves, If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, and when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying, is that all there is? So for her, even death is the final disappointment. Is that all there is? Again, written in the 1960s, I think it still speaks to the anxiety and the angst and the disillusionment that many still feel today. Let down, disappointed, things you hoped would be that turned out not to be. But guess what, my friends? I didn't bring you here this morning to disappoint you or to discourage you or to further disillusion you. There's good news. That's not all there is. There's actually more. And that's the good news of the gospel. No matter what your inner voice may speak, no matter what the voices of the world may whisper, no matter what the enemy of your soul may say, there is actually so much more. Open your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Today is the last and final week, the last and final sermon in this series on the Lord's Prayer. 
Can you believe we've taken 10 weeks in the Lord's Prayer together? But the Lord's Prayer ends with a bang. The Lord's Prayer ends with a crescendo. The Lord's Prayer ends with one final note to be sung. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And if you've been with us the last few months, uh, you've noticed that we've taken this prayer line by line. If you've been with us for the last year or two, you've noticed that we take intentional time in our gathering to pray what we've done already today. We pray the Lord's Prayer each week. Because as we've said, we want to get that prayer deep into our bones. We want to work that one deep into our souls so that one day when we're old, that will be the stuff that just kind of comes out of our, our lives and our lips. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus wants to reorient our world and revolutionize our prayer life. So one last time, I'm going to read to you the Lord's Prayer, and we'll take the final line. This is Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now some of you may be saying, hey, wait a minute, that's where we ended last week. There's nothing new here. And others might say, hey, wait a minute, that's different than what we just prayed. We, pray, we prayed a few more lines, a few more words than, than what's here. So let me read again verse 13 to you, but instead of reading it from the ESV, the English Standard Version that we usually use, I want to read it to you from the Old King James Version. This is Matthew 6, 13. In the Old King James, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So before we get into kind of the what of this part of the prayer, uh, a little historical explanation, because it may bug some of you, like, why are, it's not in the Bible. Where, where's this part of the prayer? What's going on? If you're new to faith or maybe new to church, the Bible was not originally written in English, right? And the reason, the way we get our English translation is from ancient manuscripts. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament and Koine Greek in the New Testament. And therefore we have these ancient manuscripts that have been copied and translated into the current versions that we have. And so this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. That line, maybe you have a footnote in your Bible, but that line was not found in most of the oldest ancient manuscripts. And it's not found in the ESV that we read, it's not found in the NIV. It's not found or named by some of the early church fathers. It's not in the Latin Vulgate, Tertullian, Cyprian, Origen, St. Augustine. They didn't reference that part of the Lord's Prayer. So it's ancient, 
but it's not a part of the original text. But it was added in pretty early on and has been then used and has been woven into the cadence and fabric of the Lord's Prayer really for centuries now. And it does have its origin in Scripture, actually. So what I want to do, just to remind you kind of where this came from, if you have a Bible, you can flip back to 1 Chronicles 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And what happened is actually, it's kind of a a merging of an old prayer of King David that has then been picked up and tacked on to the end of Jesus' prayer, the son of David. This is 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10. It's a prayer that David prayed when they gathered up the, the offerings to build the temple He wanted to do some prep work before his son had the role of building the temple. So after David gathered up the the materials, the offerings for the temple, he prayed this prayer. This is 1 Chronicles 29.10. David prays, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Sound familiar? Do you see it? There's there's pieces of that final line of the Lord's Prayer in this David prayer. It's not in the same order, but the parts line up. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. And then more added in. So again, this is how, in some ways, this got merged together. Some of the lines of the great David prayer added into the great Jesus prayer as an ending to this ancient expression of prayer. All right, history aside. Why end the prayer this way? What's being expressed here? Why is this helpful in our lives and in our prayer? Don't you know, as we get older, it's easy to get more cynical? Like the more we have life happen, the more things happen to us, the more we get kicked around, it's really easy to get cynical to get disillusioned. It's really easy to begin to express prayers like the song we began with, of like, is that all there is? When disappointments come, when life happens, is that all there is? Once you see enough pain and suffering and injustice in the world, you begin to ask that question too. Is that all there is? Each and every day, we get sold a false bill of goods. Each and every day, we are sold a false narrative about the good life. What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to flourish? 
We're bombarded with messages, especially in our country, especially in our culture of the American life and the American dream, especially this time of year. Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. We keep inventing days because we sell the message that if you want to be happy, you can buy happiness, that happiness and fulfillment comes with things. Buy more, have more. Buy yourself some happiness, a nice house. You'll be happy if you have a good job, if you have a significant other, if you have kids, a high-paying job, a new present, better technology, a better body, more travel, larger retirement. And then we get it, and we taste it, and we have it, we experience it, and then it breaks. And then the new thing comes out, the next model. It leaves us wanting more. It leaves us saying, is that all there is? I just went and got the thing that you said would make me happy, and all I'm left saying is, is that all there is? We need new politicians. We need a new president. We need a new Congress. We need a new governor. We need a new regime. And then we get a new one. And we're disillusioned. Disappointed. If that's all there is, then let's dance and break out the booze. But while the world lulls us to sleep, And while the world sings us a seductive siren song, Jesus comes to snap us out of it, to say, woohoo, wake up, there's more, there's more. A countercultural reminder of the kingdom of God, the magnitude of God. And this prayer, the ending of this prayer, is one of the great realignments. Again, the whole prayer has been real, realigning us, but again, it ends with this great realignment and a reorientation to what is true. What is the more that Jesus has on offer to us? Kingdom and power and a glory that's his. A kingdom and a power and a glory that remains and endures forever and ever. My friends, there's a kingdom. I I preached a few weeks ago on the kingdom of God. If you missed that one, you can go back and listen. I'm not going to talk a lot about and repeat that sermon. But there is a kingdom, there is the rule and reign of God that is an already but not yet reality. And we stand in the middle of that tension of the already but not yet kingdom of God. But there is one who rules and there is one who reigns and his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a kingdom In the face of evil, in the face of injustice, in the face of brokenness and sin and death, God promises to rule and reign over his universe. 
without end. A new heavens and a new earth is coming. That's what's more. That's what's on offer. A kingdom forever. All that is in heaven belongs to him. All that is on earth belongs to him. Jesus teaches us to pray, yours is the kingdom. You rule and reign. You have not abandoned your good world. You are coming back again to to allow us to experience face-to-face that which is already true in heavenly places, that Jesus is king. There's a king and a kingdom ruling and reigning over all things, visible and invisible, and he's putting the world to right. There's a kingdom. Yours is the power. Again, drawing back on David's longer prayer in 1 Chronicles, he states it so well. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 12. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. My friends, may we have our eyes opened again. God is not lacking. He is not weak. He is not incapable or unable. His arm is not too short. His hand is not too strong. He is the one who has all power and authority in heaven and earth forever. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. He will not be thwarted. He can accomplish his purposes. And the beauty of our God is that though he has all strength, as David prays, he shares his strength with others. And he offers his strength and his power to us as part of our inheritance through Jesus. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Tom already began the sermon this morning picking songs and reminding us about the glory of God. In the Old Testament, it's the word Hebrew word kavod, the weightiness of God. But all throughout the Bible, God's glory is a really, really big deal. I know it can sound like a churchy word that we don't use very often. But when you read through the scriptures, the idea of God's glory comes up over and over and over again. And I want to make sure we know what it means. I love uh, Pastor John Piper's definition of glory. He says that the glory of God is the manifest beauty of God's holiness. It's the, it's the, the manifestation, the manifest beauty of God's character, of his holiness. He says that God's holiness is his quality of perfection that can't be improved upon, that can't be imitated, that is incomparable, that determines all that he is and is determined by nothing from outside him. It signifies his infinite worth, his intrinsic infinite value. The holiness of God, the otherness of God, the distinct character value you richness and inherent worth of God and who he is is his holiness and then God's glory is the expression of God's holiness the manifestation of the beauty of who God is throughout the world it's the the going public of God's holiness 
The Bible says that the whole world is filled with God's glory. God and who he is and the intrinsic value of who God is, the richness of his person, has then gone public in his glory and screams and shouts and yells throughout creation. Hey, look at me. I am beautiful. I am wonderful. I'm glorious. Look at the beauty of God. Look at how amazing he is. Look at the goodness of God. Look at the love of God. Look at the mercy of God. Look at his grace, his perfection, his pursuit of our lives. Look at, that's the glory of God coming after us, revealing who he is, inviting us in to to, to behold the wonder and the beauty of the one and only God. God is reminding us again, even through this prayer, do you see who I am? I'm making available who I am. Hey, 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 put down your phone and pay attention. Pay attention to my character. I am real. I am more real than your reality show. I have purpose for you. I have adventure for you. I have mission for you. I have belonging for you. I I, I am what you long for. Is this all there is? No, there's so much more. There is so much more. Yours is the kingdom. You rule and reign over all. Yours is the power. You accomplish what you will. And yours is the glory, the manifest beauty of your holiness is rolling throughout creation so that all may know and experience for themselves who this God is. You're made for that. You're made for him. He loves you enough to offer his glory to you in the person of Jesus My friends, when God seems small, our problems seem massive, almost crushing. And if all our vision on is today is on the wars, which break our hearts, on injustice, which makes our gut churn, on death that robs us, from relationship with loved ones, from disease, if, we, if all our focus on is on disease and job loss and heartache, and co- it's overwhelming. And teaching us to pray this way, Jesus is saying, oh, may your eyes be fixed somewhere else, on someone else. For yours, God, is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. But not just the kingdom and the power and the glory, but the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. Do you have, my brothers and sisters, a vision of God and an appetite for eternity? The one who has a kingdom and the one who has power and the one who has glory will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And as Paul the Apostle talks about, our light and momentary afflictions do not even, cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. 
And we live our lives, we, we live our days consumed by minutes and hours, by work days and weekends, by years and decades, and by lifetimes, if we're lucky, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And our, our vision can't comprehend the light of eternity. We, we, have, we have no conception of forever. The Bible says our life is, is like a vapor, a mist. It's like the morning dew. Like our best hundred-year life is just like the morning dew. A speck in the sand of the shoreline of eternity but there's more. There's a God who is more, and there's a plan for more. Our days and our lives are playing out in shaky, unstable ways, but there's a God who is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the ancient of days. There's a God who will not be thwarted. There's a God who will not give up. There's a God who's coming back again to invite us into this picture of shalom at the end that is not a final disappointment, but a new heavens and a new earth. Have you read, my friends, the end of Revelation? Tears wiped away. Death will be no more. That, that God will be once again with his people face to face. because of the brilliance of who he is. He has come in the person of Jesus. He has lived and he has died and he has risen again from the dead, not just for you to eke out a few more calories and a few more dollars, but he has come to announce life and life abundantly, Jesus says. And he has come to offer life and life eternally. Tears wiped away, death no more, the dwelling place of God with his people forever. Peace, shalom, joy, no more war, a redeemed creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Our lives are hard now. Some lives harder than others. And we have struggle and we have need. And so these other parts of the Lord's Prayer that we've been praying through these past few weeks are needed and true. Our prayer for daily bread. We need daily bread. We need food. We need provision. We need protection from the evil one. But guess what, my friends? There will be a day when we no longer need to pray for our daily bread. There will be a day when we no longer need to pray for protection from the evil one. There will be a day when faith shall be sight. I love how one author expresses this. He says, there's a time coming when we will have no more need to ask God for bread, for absolution, or for rescue. All of our tears will have been wiped away. Death will have been finally defeated, and the earth and its people will be at peace and thriving. Petitions will not be necessary in God's future. We will cease asking God to supply our needs since we will be entirely satisfied and all that will remain is to praise God to enjoy his benevolent reign and to rejoice in what his power has achieved 
and to see his glory. To praise the Father forever and ever is to acknowledge that such self-giving divine love is the fount of creation and redemption in eternity past, and it will be the theme of the lost son songs into eternity's future. There's more. There's more. There's a kingdom. There's a king and a kingdom. There's power that's his. There's a glory that will remain forever and ever. And we will not exhaust the depths of his glory for eternity. We will not be able to exhaust the grandeur of his redeemed good creation for eternity, forever and ever, forever and ever. Not just idly sitting in boredom forever and ever, but a king in a kingdom with power and might and glory and beauty and creativity and perfection forever. To quote the title of a J.B. Phillips book, your God is too small. And he is so good. And Jesus teaches us to pray in a recalibrating, refocusing, resetting way on that which will be forever. Friends, your pain will not last forever. Your suffering will not last forever. Evil in this world will not last forever. Injustice will not be allowed to stand forever. Selfishness, sin, death will not last forever. But there is one who will. We read books. We watch movies. We put goggles on our head to immerse ourselves in computer-generated virtual worlds. Why? Because we have an appetite for more, for grandeur, for glory. We want to be swept up into a story larger than ourselves. We long for the evil of the world to be defeated. So we binge Marvel movies and Harry Potter and endless books where the struggle is real and we want evil to be overcome, and we want good, and then we want a king and a kingdom with power and glory, and God is like, all that stuff you're longing for, it's real. It's on offer in Jesus. It's the true story of the world. It's the good news of the gospel. And it stems from this place and this story where God redeems and restores and rules and reigns over a renewed heaven and earth forever and ever and ever and ever. And then the last word of the prayer is amen. You guys know what amen means? It's not just, let's hang up the phone, goodbye. Over and out. The word amen means let it be so. May it, may it be true. May it happen. It, it's, a, it's a response of yes. May, may that be true. May it be so. May that be the posture of our heart. 
and the response of our lips. When we pray, Lord, yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory forever and ever. May it be so. Amen and amen. To all who are bored, to all who are hurt, to all who are disappointed, to all who are disillusioned, to all who wonder if this is all there is. May the God of heaven and earth break into your life and story and show you more. And I do want to speak to those in the room with overwhelming pain and disillusionment. It's real. This message does not diminish the reality of what you face. And it's a reminder that it's not ultimate. May you sense the movement of God deeper into your story, lifting your eyes. May you see the more of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. And Lord, thank you that prayer is not confined to these words, as though these are the only words we can say, but thank you that you show us and you, you, you unravel the more that there is. And so may you teach us, God, collectively, individually, how to pray. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Thank you for coming and rescuing us. Thank you for delivering us from Satan's sin and death. Thank you for entering into this broken world and providing real, true, genuine hope. And I pray, Lord, that that hope would stir something in us today. That you'd meet us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.